the big stinger in issue 12 is that we see that this mysterious shadowy group that Emma was talking to is the Hellfire Club, but in a comprised of Sebastian Shaw and this goth woman that we'll later learn is a teen, teenage Negasonic warhead and Cassandra Nova and some kind of cloaked person. And this is a big threat for the X-Men apparently. And that dives us right into our next arc. Yeah. Which takes place entirely like at the expansion <laughs> again. Yeah. You, you know, so, so again, they're not they're This is, this might be their least heroic because they're not doing anything heroic. They're just saving themselves. Exactly. And it's, it is, it, this is one of those arcs that it was, I, I think intended to be a, a game of kind of mental gotcha the whole time, but it's not. It's like the, the, the simple answer that we get in the very first page of Emma talking to Cassandra Nova is it is the answer. Like the, the big reveal is that it's not a reveal. Yeah. And, and also I really want to drive this point home. Josh's <laughs> whole thing about making them heroic, putting them back in the spandex. He made such a big deal out of, we got to get them in the costumes. They got to be heroes. Yeah. He's only 13 issues in where he's like, fuck it, no more costumes. Yeah, they're back in like uh, Wolverine's run around in jeans and a wife beater now for six issues or so. Um, yeah. it's you know. like <laughs> everyone's wearing civvies. It's just like, you're the one who made it a whole point to be like, forget the leather and all that. We got to make them look like heroes. And then a mere year into your run, you're like, oh, forget that. Let's. Yeah throw that all out it, exactly no i mean I, I think his root idea of let's play with the x-men as heroes is a good idea but it, it like you said he he does not accomplish that and you, you gotta you, you know you have to ask well who is the writer that didn't fulfill this it's him He's the reason. <laughs> like you came up with this idea and then you wrote the opposite consistently yeah it's really baffling <laughs> It, it is so we we get a bunch of very weird moments, and this is supposed to be the mind fuck uh, chapter of this whole thing. Um, we start to get armor as a character. We're going to learn that she's. We're going to kind of bring her into prominence. And and Joss was one of the the things people said about this run is that Joss uh, elevated armor as a as a big character, which as we can all tell has stuck because we she is uh, in one of the she's one of the core X Men now, as we all know. She's she's one of the people with the ten of swords. Uh, yeah, um, armor is probably the best legacy from this run. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is a it is a so we're here and we get uh, we get some bad visions, uh, we get some mental trickery going on, and this it's a lot of talking back and forth. We get to see the Sword Space Station for the first time. Uh, Kitty and Peter do it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, this is the point in this arc really highlights that uh, at this point, at least in terms of Astonishing X-Men, uh, Whedon is entirely creatively bankrupt. Mm, yeah. Because this arc is just the previous arc, but instead of Danger Room shenanigans, it's psychic shenanigans. It, it, exactly. It's the same beats. The story kind of cliffhangers are almost identical to the run before of what's being set up and what's going on. It's almost exactly the same. And a lot of these storylines uh, bear some resemblance to stuff he did in Buffy or other shows. I mean, it, it's it's also some repeated ideas of his own. 
Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's so, it's so weird how it's such a clone of the previous arc. It's like, you didn't want to have another arc break it up. You just wanted to repeat the same story immediately after. Yeah. I mean, the conflict is in the, I mean, at least this one keeps it all at the X mansion, whereas the other one takes a brief uh, hop over to, to Genosha, but same location, uh, some shenanigans with the kids, some misdirection going on. Uh, it is, it is a, it is a weird, it, 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 the pacing is wrong. You would want any sane kind of writer editor would put something in between these two to break them up because it really just goes right back to the same stuff. Yeah. So we get, uh, the, the, I remember a lot of conversation around this at the time. So one of the things we get out of this is uh, Emma Frost, even though she is in love and they, they make a point of saying that in a lot of panels that she's fallen in love with Cyclops, how could this be? And she decides to mentally screw with him um, at first by pretending she's Jean Grey. And then we get a lot of pages like like I'd forgotten how many pages of this in the in the following issue. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pages of basically in Scott's bedroom going back and forth with mind games. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Like, I mean, I, I don't even know. Like at, at one point, she makes Cyclops look like he's Wolverine. It, it's all supposed to be the breaking down of Cyclops to the point where even though it's a cheap gag, we finally get interrupted with this by Kitty apparently having just come really hard, drops through the floor. I guess. Yeah. I don't know what, what exactly was going on there, but she phased. And she can't yeah. believe she phased. It's, it, 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 she hasn't phased before during this, and then there's some giggling. Yeah, it's uh and during this arc we start getting they i think it starts in the previous arc but they start really hammering in when they go to cutaways of sword that they have in insider at the mansion right you know and by now you know it's lockheed but like they don't really tell you till the next arc yeah but even then it's like how fucking stupid is that I, I, yeah, it's 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 Lockheed. It's I I, I don't know. It it is it, it, again. Yeah, like you said, the the pacing is very very strange here. It's mental games, but we go an entire issue where we get some breakdown of Cyclops, which really doesn't make a lot of sense. They're they're supposed to say that he's not worthy of being a leader, or maybe he is. We we get a brief appearance by Grant Morrison's Bug Room, but it doesn't really fit. What Morrison established there, I guess, is just a, a way of kind of tying back. And this this ultimately causes Cyclops to drool and lose his his powers, sort of. Yep. And that's a good thing. So I, I don't know. You, you, this is the part of we're hitting it. When you get to this thread, you just you're reading along and there's just it's not good. And and yet it's it's like I think Joss is working really hard to try and do clever things. He's trying to do some clever things with Beast. He's he's he does the switcheroo where Wolverine's suddenly kind of a pansy. Um, yeah, which again, it's just like Buffy trope stuff. It's very much like the Halloween episode where Xander becomes like a soldier. Yeah, it's exactly. just the reverse of that. It, it, it is a very it, and so they have their big fight. But as it goes on, you're aware, and then they, they get the call back to Wolverine in the sewer, but with Kitty this time. And 
I, again, I remember a lot of reviewers seeing this of like, this is why Whedon's such a great writer, brings strong female characters to the mix. It's now Kitty's the one who is going to save the X-Men like Wolverine. It shows how things have progressed, but that's not really the story we get either. <laughs> um. No, no. We, we basically get um, like issue 15 is just a bunch of people kind of punching each other in between cuts of sword and ord talking and uh danger somehow got into sword and is conspiring with ord yeah and that's not really explained like we don't know why danger's back <laughs> like she she's just back she's just back and she wants revenge but we don't know exactly why. And, and this was about the start of the feeling where when you're reading along with the series and Ord has been consistently part of the whole thing. And it, it dawns on you that you're, this is a, the, the Ord is the big, big bad for the entire comic. Yeah. And this is what you're going to get for this entire run. It's not going to be Magneto. It's not going to be, you know, the Marauders or Sinister or Apocalypse or anything else. Ord is our big villain for the entire run. And that's kind yeah. of a lesson. <laughs> it's a big letdown because Ord sucks. He does, he really does. Ord sucks. Breakworld sucks. Um, there's a reason they never came back really in any major way after this is because who wants to write these characters? They suck. Well, yeah, exactly. And it, it it's it's a it's a series of bad decisions. We get revealed at the end of, of sixteen because this is a point where we're trying to end every issue with a bit of a, a cliffhanger. And it's revealed that this background plot that I don't know of anyone really cared about, you know, who, who destroyed Breakworld that got Ord all pissed off the mutants, it's Colossus, the <laughs> guy that Ord brought back to life in order to make the serum to prevent this thing from happening. And at this point, you're like, what the, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> You know, but, but also, this is this is also where, um, I mean, by the next arc, it really comes into focus. But by now, you think to yourself, you're like, these guys are a really, like, warlike race uh, on this planet Breakworld. Why wouldn't they just destroy Earth? Sure. They have the ability to. Yeah, they have the ability to. Why wouldn't, like, they make it very clear that they're a ruthless, like, you, you know, race uh, of, uh, you know, conquerors, why wouldn't they just destroy Earth? Never even make contact with them. Just be like, oh, we should destroy Earth so we don't die. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, it is, they, they set up this kind of bloodthirsty villain. I mean, the whole race, but the, you have this villain who's like the, the most merciless of them all. And his big plan is he's going to travel to Earth, uh, sneak a body away, bring it back to life, experiment on it, come up with a mutant serum, it, distribute the mutant serum to end the threat to his planet so it won't be destroyed based on a prophecy. Like, these aren't the actions of a, a war bloodthirsty race. This is, I'm, this is, these aren't the actions of a smart person. This is the actions of an idiot. Yeah, these are the actions of an idiot pacifist. <laughs> yeah. Like, Which, like, it doesn't, it, it all falls apart. It's at this point, this entire series, everything Whedon's working on it, it is a, a joke. This is this is just a joke that I, I don't like. Did they not realize how stupid they were? 
Well, I, again, you, as you brought up, it's like this is the series that's going to bring X-Men back to being heroes. We get away from that as fast as possible. This is going to be the series that's going to elevate Kitty Pride to a strong kind of female character, although I would argue that Chris Claremont had done that 10 years earlier, but okay, we'll sure. take another run at it. We get Kitty Pride's going to come back and save the X-Men, but she immediately, uh, in the next issue, in issue 17, she is brainwashed into basically helping complete Cassandra Nova's evil plan. Like she's key to, to screwing everything up. Yeah. I, Which again, uh, Cassandra Nova's evil plan seems to just be escaping her container worm life. Right. So she could then take over another body and run amok somehow. But, they, but she already had Emma completely under her control. Like there's, there's way easier ways to do this than three or four double crosses that ultimately involve having Kitty Pride think she's a mom and, and three years of fake psychic life. So she'll use her powers to release the care. And why would they even put the Kitty pride fail safe into, I mean, like, like why did any, why, why is any of this happening? Like Here, here's what would have been better. Um, and I just thought of this right now to show you how dumb all these people are is, um, you do the whole situation with danger and the whole issue with Genosha. Cassandra Nova takes advantage of that situation. Has Emma go missing in action. So they all have, they can't wait. They have to go to Genosha to stop danger. Then while everyone's gone, Cassandra Nova has Emma Frost go down and release her. Sure. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And a million easier ways to accomplish this, but even here, Cassandra Nova is is the big threat. I mean, she was the big giant threat of Grant Morrison's run. Yeah, and yet she is a just just kind of punked out. I mean, it, she is she is uh, under Ward and Danger and other threats in this run. I, I mean, she's she's simultaneously super dangerous and then also sucks. Yeah, I don't understand how she's able to, like, create physical manifestations of multiple people and not release herself. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if she's such a powerful psychic, like, like, you could have, like, why did we go through all these, like, this plotting and scheming through this whole thing? The second Kitty, if Kitty was key to unlocking her from the, the container, like, the second she showed up in the mansion... Why? Why not just take over Kitty at that point and send her off to do her thing? Like, why did we hang out for, I don't know, weeks? However long they were screwing around trying to get good PR. Like, what? What? I, this is a dumb plan. But, but they only talk about wanting PR like once, and it's immediately dropped. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and speaking of which, this is also the issue where Wolverine is running around as a delicate. English noble or something, and then he is awakened by beer. Beer brings him back to himself. Uh. And then he is angry. And then, uh, just as everything seems kind of dire, Kitty does release the goo larva Cassandra Nova out, and we're going to get the piece extracted out of Emma's head back into the goo so she could take over Kitty, I guess. Um, Even though she already has Emma Frost, who's arguably a, a stronger person for her to control. Yeah, it's it's very unclear why. I mean, you're able to create physical constructs and have them cause problems, but this is your plan. At any rate, 
Um, we are interrupted by Cyclops, who doesn't have any powers, but he's found a gun. <laughs> yes. And then we get a lot of guns. We, we just get a lot of like Cyclops shooting people that may or may not be there. And he's just having a good time shooting people. <laughs> and this is a point where Cyclops' personality is completely different. But I guess that's because he's mentally gone through some changes, maybe. Or I don't know. I, I guess, but you know what? I'm really sick of that in X-Men where people are like, oh, a, a psychic used powers to change this character in someone I'd rather be writing. Yeah, exactly. And, and clearly that was the goal. I totally, I hate that. I hate that now with the current run of garbage that, that is going on. But it is that, it is that let's just conveniently use this, uh, this gotcha to just make the characters to the people we really want to write rather than having to do the hard work of actually writing them true to their, themselves. Uh, yep, and and then this all just becomes a big bloated mess. Danger and Ord show up. Yep, they're back, and we kind of settle things out. Uh, Kitty gets the gun and decides to, you know, aim it at some people. Um, what's weird about this run is that we don't quite like like Emma's maybe going to bring Sandra Nova back or not. But before any of this can happen, she says, go to hell. But it's not entirely sure who she's talking to. You're assuming Sandra Nova. And then they they launch into space. Yeah, the Cassandra Nova stuff really isn't resolved. No. We, we don't know. Like, Cassandra Nova, for all we know, could have taken over the Earth while they're gone. Yeah, it's it's weird. Because it is, like, it, it the, did they deal with that goo egg thing? Is it? still around did they did they leave it back at the mansion is it did it did they flush it down the toilet what do they do with this thing because they just go off to space and that's they're just done with that well well here's the thing the um to to reinforce how they're not heroes the first arc they don't stop the mutant cure the second arc none of our heroes end the fight it's professor x and danger that do and then the third arc just ends because they get kidnapped. They don't actually stop Cassandra Nova's plan fully, and they don't stop Ord or Danger. No, they just, they all kind of get kidnapped off into space, and then they, they point more guns at each other. Um, and then they're off to break worlds, which we've been anxiously awaiting since issue number one. I mean, it's like, I, I'm sure there's some readers like, finally, we're getting to break world what we've all been waiting for <laughs> so we're, we're on our way to break world and, and to reinforce how again they're not being heroic in order to get them to go to break world they had to be kidnapped yeah so it's like they're they're basically doing the right thing because they have no choice instead of doing a situation where sword says you're our only hope and they make the choice which would make them heroic they're not even given the chance to make a choice they're just kidnapped and forced into doing the right thing well, yeah, exactly. And it, it is, this is a moment too where reading it in hindsight, I remember when this issue came out and there's a shot that a lot of people picked up on time where Abigail Brand is kind of going over that Breakworld was destroyed and Colossus is the person the prophecy is supposed to be doing this. And she says, I'm assuming you're as mystified by this as the rest of us, Rasputin. And Colossus goes, no, I'm not. I've been planning to destroy the Breakworld since I was a child. And you get a, wah kind of look from everyone and he's like this is why i don't make many jokes yeah 
And at the time, people were like, oh, this was clever. Classic Joss Whedon. Today, you read this and you're like, that's too on the nose for how stupid this plot is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that page stuck out to me again when, when I reread this. I was like, oh, I remember that. That was... It's memorable. It just it's it's memorable now for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the same. It's not a line or an exchange rather that a character who goes back and forth between "I love Kitty so much" and "I need to murder everyone because rage" would say. Yeah, I, it it at, at this point in the thing, um, everyone has settled into new personalities that kind of fit. You're, you know, uh, just any other Joss Whedon show, you can interchange these people with. I mean, you can see Nathan Fillion practically as uh, Cyclops at this point. Oh, oh, 100%. And it's like all their personalities have kind of reverted to that. Uh, then, then you know, the, this this comic, they go to Breakworld and they have several issues of kind of wandering around Breakworld. Like you said, actually, it is true. I think Armor probably gets some solid development out of this. Uh, she's with them for this adventure. And we get some kind of nice moments with her uh, that really haven't been picked up on much in, in years to come. But, but we do get some nice stuff with her while, you know, meanwhile, they, they, they kind of just screw around on the planet. In reading through this, it's like this is the part where it became quite a drag to, to read all this. Yeah, no, th this part sucks. And it also, it's also a little uncomfortable because like Ord and Breakworld kind of fall into that weird like um east asian fetishization that yeah. we does and is into and it's it's like having watched firefly and things like that it's like oh this is like kind of fetishy and creepy how you're like oh no it is i i mean it definitely is and it, it it's another case where i don't know how much i would have picked up on this at the time but then you combine this with Firefly and with some of the other things he's done and it really does all start to to group you realize how he's got a fairly limited set of ideas that he just brings every time yeah absolutely this this really stands out uh, as that and uh ugh. and I mean break world's just not interesting we don't really get like one overall uh complaint I have of this uh series that really stands out in this arc but then you go back and, and mm -hmm. look at it like there's really no sense of place. Right. There's, um, they're like, when they go to stop the monster in Manhattan in, in the second arc, there's no sense of distance, how long it took them to get there, what's, what's going on, what's the detachment from there in the mansion. Um, mm -hmm. There's no sense of how, it, it feels like they instantaneously just showed up at Genosha, which shouldn't be the case uh, yep. for the mansion. Um, break world doesn't feel like a real place. It feels like a set of scenes and there's no sense of how long it takes to, to go anywhere. Like there's, everything's just sort of there and nebulous. Even the mansion itself, you don't really get a sense of, uh, where everything is in the mansion. No, absolutely. It, it is. I mean, and break world in theory is very far away. I guess as a plan. I mean, I don't know why this hasn't come up before, but it's, it's a new thing. And, but they do get to it very quick. I mean, maybe they're using super duper hyperdrive. I, I'm not sure, but, but it, it all leads to this reveal that there's a moon with a, a vibrator sticking out of it that they're going to shoot into the planet. Yeah. It's I mean, so bad. It, it is. Uh, 
Uh, they they make a point to talk about how it's not a missile, it's a bullet. They're, they're, the basic plan of this alien race is that to destroy the Earth so they don't get destroyed first, they're going to fire a big metal bullet at the Earth and shoot it. Like, was this supposed to be a commentary about how guns were bad? I'm not sure what the what the goal here was. That's the only thing I can think of. But also, like, boy, that plan is literally foolproof if you don't send an ambassador to Earth and just do it. Yeah, I, very, this, very. This would have been uh, an easy plan to stop. Or, you know, you could have also done it in a way where they did fire a missile and Earth intercepted it. And then they have to go investigate Breakworld. That also works. There's a lot of a lot of ways this this could have been not stupid, uh, but they took one of those ways. Uh, we we get the classic Joss like switch of uh, oh Cyclops died, but then he didn't really die, and it was a plan, and they were actually all it was a, it was a big switcheroo that they tried to do to kind of get some information about what was going on, and and I, and, I mean you didn't believe Cyclops died, but it, it is. These issues read terribly because you you just you get one issue where look Cyclops is dead and you get the next issue of like no he's alive and let's finish this and and it just this this arc felt like a incredible chore to to get through. Yeah, no, that this, which is crazy because this has not been good from like the get go, but like. This arc in particular, you're just like, oh, the break world itself is bland and uninteresting. Um, you don't care about any of these characters. It's a constant loop of like, we thought we knew what break world was, and now we don't, and now we don't again, and now we really don't. Is Ord the bad guy or not the bad guy? I guess it's this other woman who's secretly the bad guy. Again, something we've seen from Joss Whedon before. Yeah, and it's like the, the main bad guy switches multiple times because then it's her, then it's like this other guy, and then it's her again, and it's... Yeah, and, and at this point, John Cassie has started to get uh, looser with his art, I think is a friendly way to say it. Um, yes. And and it is, and then, and then to top it off, this is the least interesting arc, and they announce we're going to have two extra bonus issues prolonging this arc. And <laughs> you're like, fuck, Marvel, <laughs> why? Why this one? Uh, why why are we doing this? But um, that leads us to Giant Size X-Men 1 and 2. Sorry, Giant Size Astonishing X-Men 1 or 2. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Uh, Giant Size is just there, I guess, so Whedon can write some other characters. So we get like a big page of Spider-Man being like, I'm Spider-Man. I'm the spideriest. Oh, wow. I'm Iceman and Storm and we're all going to not do anything anyway. <laughs> exactly. I know it feels like this is the moment where Joss Whedon, if he had been telling a good story up to this point, we would have had all these moments of the X-Men slowly becoming more heroic and, and being seen as heroes and everything else. And so you would cap it off with here of all the, the Earth's greatest heroes in one place and then the, the plucky X-Men who have become heroes saving the day and kind of being the cap to this whole mission. I think that's what they intended, but they forgot all those X-Men becoming heroes moments. Yeah. So how it ends off coming across is less that and more. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to write Marvel comics again, guys. So let me Joss Whedon uh, have a couple lines of dialogue with, uh, 
with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and Iron Man, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. And so you go through this sequence where all the heroes think they've saved the Earth. Um, but then they're all just kind of standing around drooling. Again, he just likes having people stand around and drool, I guess, because he's the second time. He does. I, I mean, I'm not sure why. It, it, it reminds me of, like, Mongo, where somebody gets a spontaneous nosebleed at some cleavage. Um, it, it has that, like, he likes to get people into the drool mode. Um, he also enjoyed having Spider-Man punch Storm in the face. So we get that. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then we have a little more of uh, Unrecognizable Colossus, who's just kind of like, I guess I do like murdering and killing everyone on a planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you get a bunch of kind of very odd scenes of him saying that, like uh, holding Ord's arms so Wolverine could hack it off. You get you get a bunch of... Yeah. You just you get some odd Colossus here. Um, meanwhile, a sweaty, tired uh, kitty who's... Uh, it's hard to phase through this metal because the metal is hard to phase through metal has uh, gotten to the center of this vibrator that is shooting toward the Earth. And she's going to save the day by making the entire vibrator pass through the earth and then just kind of hurtle off into space, presumably at some other planet forever. Yeah. And then like it ends up just being stuck in earth in a phased way, which also makes no sense. Yeah. It, it, it's odd. It, well, it passes through and then just hurtles off into space. Yeah. But she, she's like stuck in it. Yeah. She's stuck it, in the center. And yeah, and it's also just like I can't imagine this Earth it, it had no way to stop a, a stupid bullet from blowing it up. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, what's weird is that they they go through the Reed Richards sets up a quick little dimensional portal, but it was all in his head and it doesn't work. And and it's it's one of the reasons why it aggravates me when when Marvel tackles kind of current topics like like the environment or climate change and other things because you can't help feeling like these characters have powers to solve this problem so they'd have to be super idiots not to solve the problem and that's how unfortunately everybody comes across here it doesn't necessarily elevate the x-men but it does make all the other heroes on the planet look like morons yeah i mean it it, it doesn't it really doesn't make sense. It's like, you're telling me that, you know, Silver Surfer couldn't have done something about those? Well, and, and then it's followed up with, you know, the bullet goes shooting off into space and Kitty's in the center of it. And they're like, well, we're working on it, but she's probably gone. I don't know. Nothing we could do. We don't have any, we don't, there's, there's nothing we could possibly do. If you, you, again, you, 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 I think you have a, vast array of characters potentially solve this problem. Ultimately, this problem gets solved by Magneto kind of using his magnetic powers to find the bolt in space and bring it to Earth. Yeah. So they exhausted every possibility to try and help Kitty out, but that's that's the you know the the Whedon gives and takes away. He gave us Colossus, but then we sent Kitty off into space in a in a giant bullet. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very... Uh, That's it. Yeah, I, I mean, but you see that from like a mile away. Anyone who who's experienced anything Whedon's done 
would know it's like, oh, he's doing this thing to make someone really happy, but then he's going to take the thing away. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's very, you know, student writer. It, it is. It was a very kind of by the numbers comic. And it, it is funny, you know, to take it back to the beginning. It's funny, this arc where the announcement of this came with so much hype. It did sell a ton of copies. Uh, there's a lot of new fans, new people, new to the X-Men who really love this series. And, and even today, I think, love this series. Although I don't know if they think they love it or they actually love it. I don't know if they read it more recently because it does, it, it does age badly, like really badly. Yeah. <laughs> there is, there's no value to it because it's that blessing and the curse of being like its own thing. Like it doesn't connect to a lot of other stuff. Right. So there's no real value in, in needing to read it to understand the greater X-Men world. Everyone's kind of out of character and stupid. So you're not really getting any new insights on any of the characters. Uh, you know, it's, it's really for people who like, like, but you know, like if you read it at the time, um, and, and you have a fondness for it, I mean, I have a fondness for it because I was going to the shop and picking this up at the time and it, it was an oh, yeah. exciting time to be into this stuff. As it had delays. I mean, there were, I don't say angry fans, but there were people who the, the anticipation was huge for this and as as this rolled out, um, you had people who come to the shop who finally, you know, and a new issue drops and people were so excited. And that was the comic everyone talked about that week. And it, it, it had that aura about it. But today, I mean, kind of as we've gone through a lot of clunky storytelling in there, a lot of stuff, like you said, it, it really doesn't matter. No, it, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and the other thing, too, that's so interesting that, you know, you alluded to in the beginning of this is it's flipped around where like if anyone would excite someone even mildly at this point it would be maybe john cassidy being on a book yeah it's yeah. not we we couldn't sell anything close to this there would be no excitement if anything you would probably get a lot of you know op-eds about why are you hiring whedon to write this I, no, absolutely. That that moment is gone. He he couldn't come back and carry the same kind of weight today. It wouldn't work. Um, he doesn't have the same kind of buzz and credibility in in anything. Um, and it, it's just it's an interesting time capsule of him as a person. Which I think why we spent so much time at the beginning about him. It is a it's an X Men story. It's a moment in time. It it was very much a Joss Whedon product. It, it reads like Joss Whedon. Um, and it I don't know. Like who who could step in and do this today? Is there any? You know, we saw the J.J. Abrams and Son approach with Spider Man, but is there any creator out there uh, from outside of comics that could step in and have this kind of run today or this kind of excitement? I, I don't know if one exists. I I I don't think so, and I think that's kind of a greater problem that uh, comics is going to be tackling in, in the future. Like there there isn't a pop culture icon that that could generate that kind of buzz, uh, certainly beyond one issue. You know, I, I think we saw similar things with like, uh, you know, like Coates on Black Panther, for example, that was a lot of excitement and big sales for that first issue. But there, there was 
uh, more drastic fall than um, Whedon on this. Like there, there isn't someone you can sort of pull in right now who could sell a book with big numbers and consistently sell it month after month. Yeah. And, and credit to Whedon goes there. Like, like I mentioned earlier, this series did hold its audience pretty consistently throughout the whole thing. Um, trades were high, the omnibus, the hardcovers, the soccer. I mean, this, this whole run was great for sales and he does have that credit to himself. And, and it was a self-contained story. I mean, there's, it, there's good parts to this story and without comparing it to other runs, I mean, there's, there's certainly been worse runs of the X-Men, I would yeah. say. Um, but it is, it is funny to read back on this. that so little got accomplished in particular, like you said, the goal of let's make the X-Men heroes never happened. And the other writers writing X-Men books at the time pretty much ignored that mandate completely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird. The other writers, including Whedon himself, ignored that mandate. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think despite some of the reuses of the same tropes over and over again by, by Cassidy, the, the art mm -hmm. more or less holds up. Um, it does. He, he does a more extreme version of, I believe Todd McFarlane talked about doing this, where Todd would intentionally not make bad pages, but he'd have less interesting things coming up. Like, um, you know, like if you're going to do like a crazy splash page or a crazy scene where like, you know, the Green Goblin bursts into the Daily Bugle, you do a couple of pages where it's like, you know, J. Jonah Jameson, like chewing out a reporter or something like that, like something mundane. And then you have a big splash of excitement. Yeah. And, and Cassidy does that. He, he has that very similar kind of mentality but he takes it a little too far where you'll have page after page of bland faces talking. And then you'll see the page that he spent multiple days drawing of like right. an explosion or a big double page spread of sentinels coming or like, you, you know, he'll, he'll put the work in, but you'll go through like eight pages of not that much going on. And then out of nowhere, bam. And it's this gorgeous, page that you could imagine like having a poster up in your home you know mm -hmm. I, I wonder a little bit if part of that is uh the fault of, of whedon's script where he does keep the action just you know at the mansion and so if you're an artist you know you want to illustrate these these kind of big moments but this the, the script itself is very type heavy i mean it is a lot of talking scenes over and over and over yeah and then finally you get to some action, but the action is in the same locale. And I mean, like there's, I, I don't feel like they gave, you know, Cassidy too much to work with. They did finally take you to break world. And that's a new planet. But almost as soon as they got there, we had a lot of scenes of kind of talking around some ruins or some Asian inspired architecture, or it just, just random bits of equipment junk. I mean, it, it, it didn't give, it just didn't give him a lot to work with. No, there, there wasn't a lot to work with. Um, the scenes where there is action stuff going on, Cassidy does an incredible job with. Uh, but but yeah, too many of the scenes are like, it's Emma and Scott talking. It's Kitty and Colossus talking. It's Wolverine drinking a beer in the kitchen, and then Beast comes in, and they're talking. Like, yeah. It, it, you know? Um, so a lot of that does fall on, on Whedon. A lot of what makes... Whedon work on the small screen doesn't work in comics. Like you can yeah. 
you can have these like small scenes of everyone, you know, the Scooby gang and Buffy hanging out in the library or hanging out in her house. And you can make that interesting because there's people acting out these scenes. Right. But that doesn't translate the same way in a comic. It, it doesn't. I, I, you know, but there, there was some interesting stuff here. I mean, in the first issue, you had Emma kind of creating, I think, Hawaii that they're, you know, virtually that they're sitting on and, or maybe it was a danger room, not Emma. Uh, that's doing this. But anyway, there, there, there's moments where you do see some real visual creativity to try and inject some life into these these dialogue bits, these bits where the characters are supposed to just talk and kind of set up the, the stakes for what's going to happen. Uh, but overall, it, it is a, I don't know. I So regardless of everything we just said, when people have asked for kind of a nice collected X-Men book to read, something that they can get into that's like in and out in 12 issues, I often, I do point people to this run on a regular basis, but I, I always feel kind of bad about it. <laughs> this is this is a good run to recommend someone who is interested in the X-Men, but hasn't really read any of it before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it is good, new reader friendly. I do think there's some lessons to be learned here for maybe both publishers and creators if you're trying to, to bring in a new audience. I think there's a there's a path here for how you do that. And there, there are some good aspects to it. It just, as a time capsule of Whedon's career and kind of how people were thinking about him at the time and then the X-Men in general, what would follow this would be a very long and largely dark run of powers being lost and exiled off to an island in San Francisco and. And then uh, hope shows up and just, just a lot of uh, just dark times where Marvel was trying to figure out if they really want to promote the X-Men at all, given that Fox had it. And, and it's, it's an interesting to look at this book to, you know, uh, House of X, Powers of Ten. Yeah. As that era between there was like the, the, the weird drought uh, where in, in some cases people tried to do stuff with what Whedon had set up and largely didn't. And it, it's a, anyway, it's, it's a fascinating moment in Marvel history. It, it, it is. It, it shows, I think, if you're trying to be new reader friendly, um, focusing on a tight group of characters, not getting too caught up in the greater Marvel universe in, in this case, or DC, if you were doing DC, having like, you know, you had Nick Fury and you had Sword, but, you know, you, you weren't getting lost in this great big sort of world. You know, it was easy to navigate. And, and those are the kind of lessons from this book that I think uh you know go on from there i would say you know the reverse is also true if if you're already an x-men fan and and you read like you know the claremont stuff you know the morrison stuff if you're familiar with a lot of the stuff that happened in the 90s if you followed you know messiah complex messiah war second coming if you're kind of caught up and you missed out on astonishing don't even bother yeah i agree like if you skipped it, you're good. Like, don't worry about it. It's not going to make you feel good. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> it, it's like if you, and I think that really is well said. I think if you love the Claremont era, you love everything that went on there, or maybe you were a fan of more of the X-Men in the 90s and you like that kind of particular period, um, going into this is not going to make you feel good. It's not, it's not, it's actually today, especially reading it now, given how much these, these quips and these other pieces have been completely overused in comics. This style has been picked up and adapted so much in comics yeah. that it's it's going to read old to you right out the gate. 
yeah, it's very dated in uh, in that way. And, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of annoying quirks. Characters are annoying. Um, you are just going to cringe every time Wolverine goes like, I like beer. Yeah. You yep. know, or uh, every time uh, Colossus is like uh, screaming and murdering people, screaming he's full of rage and like Wolverine has a little tear in his eye going like Pete's back. Yeah. It's like, no, you're, you're all this doesn't make sense. Like Wolverine makes no sense. No, none of these characters make sense. Uh, there, there's a lot of overused tropes and foreshadowing that you'll read it and be like, oh, this is going to happen. And then you go keep reading and you're like, yep, that happened literally exactly how I thought it was going to. <laughs> it's such an interesting comic. Uh, definitely some polarizing opinions on it, but uh, I don't know. Any any other kind of last thoughts about this run? And it's it's been fun talking through this with you. It is a... It is, I, it's it's a lot of range of emotions with this book because it is there's just so many different pieces pulling in and it, it's not as simple as it's bad or it's good it's just a lot of different factors. Yeah, it's um, it's an X factor. It's uh, that's the kind of dialogue you'd have to deal with if you read this. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very standalone. It's in also the sense that. On such a deep level, the character work is fucked. Like um, all the buildup of like this complex character that Cyclops and, and is is thrown out the window. Um, Emma, he clearly cares about and is trying to do something complex with her, but kind of ends up having her like backpedal a bit. Absolutely, uh, which is a shame. Wolverine is a two dimensional character. Uh, a lot of the work that Morrison put in for Beast is kind of out the window here. Um, it's very clear that Whedon got like a briefing on Morrison's run, read the Dark Phoenix saga and a couple of other things, um, but clearly years ago, and that's it. He doesn't have a very strong attachment to X-Men and it shows. Um, but, but yeah, uh, Kitty is whoever. He, he, you know, like this isn't anything like any kitty has been before since. No, it's very, you, you know, the, these characters, it's just like, oddly enough, the character that's probably the most consistent to other interpretations is probably Nick Fury. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, uh, Professor X is not like any other Professor X. Yeah. Uh, what a, what a strange moment in time. Uh, well, Joe, thank you very much for going through this with me. I love doing these with you. What What do you think we should hit next? You, we're gonna, we're going to hit Legion of Superheroes, I believe, soon. Yeah, uh, I definitely want to do Legion because there's so much to talk about with Legion. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyone who talks about things like who, why don't people listen to the fans and this and that? You know, like they did with the Legion. And <laughs> they absolutely did. About that. I mean, the Legion outpost and like the fan organizations around Legion, like. It's it's incredible. Um, I, I definitely want I want to do that. I want to do uh, Scott Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think is an interesting one. I think everyone forgot that that was like a genuine phenomenon. Yeah, and and a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, copying and and clones of that over the years to come. It, it, these moment in time comics are great. I can't wait to do them with you, Joe. Thank you very much for the time today, and and uh, we'll get on this again soon. No problem. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more soon.
Oh, you're still here. <laughs> there you go. You're still, what are you doing here? Go home. No, wait, that's a different movie. Yeah. Um, there was one more thing, though, that we, we thought about kind of after this is all recorded. There's one more aspect to this, this whole Astonishing X-Men. One big kind of, I don't know, hole in the story, or how would you describe it? Uh, it's actually a literal hole in the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird moment. It's, it's something that gets skated over, and I, I, it is easy to miss it, but it is a plot point. And it, it involves danger. Yeah. Uh, so earlier on, I, I we both talked about how danger through the thing, like the big thing through Colossus and Kitty and impales both of them. Mm -hmm. But later in that last, you know, arc of the story, we find out that Emma knew that danger can't kill anybody. Yeah, which <laughs> on multiple fronts is strange. Okay, so <laughs> so on one hand, you had um, you know the, the the idea that danger is this is this super threat, but actually can't can't directly kill anyone. She can kind of um, suggest you die. Yeah, she can. Yeah, she can let you die. Like Batman in Batman Begins, when yeah, he right. just lets uh, Raja Ghoul die, even though um, it breaks the character entirely. But that's yeah. another story. It's a whole different, uh, different problem. But yeah, so so she can. Uh, oh crap! Is it is it? Do they establish in this comic, or is it later on that it is a she? By the way, or did they? I thought in in. Gillian's run. It is anyway. I'm, I'm I off. thought it was established, but yeah, I, 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 it's been a long time since I read Gillian's run, and I imagine that's true of everyone. Yeah, no. <laughs> that <laughs> is also true. <laughs> anyway, so she she basically um, can't kill them, and yet she does throw the spike. And so, what was going on there? Like, how do you? Ex what's the no prize explanation for impaling Kitty and Colossus? Yeah, there, there really isn't any like how do you there there's really no good explanation um i guess i guess the only thing could be like well, well first off i really don't understand why colossus didn't turn into metal faster yeah uh, well, and, and, a, like a half-assed explanation that he wanted to save her but then if he was in metal he either didn't have enough time enough or something like it was I thought he was also worried he'd crush her for some reason because she, but she could still face. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. None of it makes any sense at all. Yeah. It, 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 none of that made anything close to sense. And like, but, but still she, she was performing an act of violence that could easily kill someone, yeah. you know, even accidentally. So it's like, but if you can't kill someone, how can you throw giant murderous things at people? Well, yeah, I mean the the, the blackbird came flying in. I mean there was there's a lot of sequences of just easy death, and yeah. and yet then then at the end we reveal that Emma knew that she couldn't danger couldn't actually kill anyone, and that was why she allowed herself to be punched and why she actually why I, I don't you don't know why am i behaved the way she behaved either i mean they go off to the island 
where Danger is going to get revenge on Professor X, but can she kill Professor X? Yeah, she she can't. Yeah. So if she can't do like what was her plan? Yeah, it it does it it falls apart really quick cuz it's like was her revenge going to be like to to go there and yell at him? And then also does how did Professor X not know? Yeah. Why didn't Professor X just not hit her with a truck? And yeah. Professor X should have just been like don't worry, everyone. She can't kill anybody. That would have been a good thing to say. For that matter, why didn't Emma let everybody know this? When she found out, like it would have changed the whole thing. Like why, why fly off to Genosha and save? Like you didn't need to do anything. You could have just stayed home and, and binge Netflix. You didn't need to really worry about any of this. Yeah. Cause she couldn't have gone and killed professor X. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. So like between her, not, not like, yeah, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, I guess the no prize for Emma, you could come up with some stupid bullshit of like, oh, well, she's being manipulated by Cassandra Nova, kind of, sometimes. Yeah, yeah so she's not thinking straight, basically, there. Yeah, so it's like, okay, we can kind of brush that off to the side, even though that whole thing also makes absolutely no sense. No. But, um, or how Cassandra Nova could also keep controlling her when she's, like, in Genosha, or whatever, like, whatever anyway that's yeah, all good yeah what, what makes no sense is professor x needing to like violently attack danger be because of that right and it all could have been avoided if they didn't have that stupid bit and you just did something where like oh you know sword you know took took danger up to their base and uh rewired Sure. Danger. So danger can't kill now. Like, you know, yeah. there, there were so many ways to make it make sense, and they were like, "What if we just didn't?" Yeah, I, I, I remember that was such a weird point in the comic because it, it did invalidate like a whole arc. Uh, everybody's motivations, like none, none of that made sense. Uh, none of what was going on. There was never any danger for everything, so it took that away. But also, it, it. Like nobody's motivations make any sense at that point. I guess the only like the X Men who are not aware, uh, they're behaving somewhat rationally because they think somebody's trying to kill them. But Emma, Professor X, I mean Professor X knows danger's coming for him. He he's aware. He has time to prepare. He he does that thing we talked about earlier where he gets Magneto to like just bug out for no apparent reason. But like nobody is nobody is acting in any way that makes sense. Like, is everybody just drunk or stupid? Yeah, I mean, the only explanation I can think of is when Joss wrote this and had the whole, like, you know, Emma and Danger have that little whisper thing, and then Emma lets Danger punch her, that Joss didn't know what he was going to do. Yeah, I think that's actually a very safe bet. Yeah, it, it seems like Joss didn't know what he was going to do with Danger, and then was like, I'll figure it out, like, like later we're going to have a, a big reveal and then like either forgot because or, or um mm. or was able to convince them like it's going to be a real big twist no one's going to see it coming because it makes no fucking sense <laughs> well and then as far as twists go like who cares like like <laughs> 
the safety mode's like, oh, she can't kill us. It's like, all right. So? Like, like I mean, like that, that was not a good reveal. It, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just like a weird rushed reveal. It, there, there's so many things that they could have done instead that could have made this like somewhat interesting. And it was like, nope, she just, she can't get like, it turns out danger is dumber than we thought. A lot dumber. Yeah. Yeah. I know it it makes the, the comic does not make a lot of sense at that point. And it's one of those flaws in, in CC and crop up in some comics where if you, you have a moment in a later issue and then it makes all the, the former stories worse. So when you go back and you read them, it's like, well, th- you you know this reveal is coming. So you're like, this this whole this whole story right here is stupid. Now this makes no sense. Yeah, and then why did Danger even show up and you know sword and was like stalking around and all that anyway? Like that that didn't really make too much sense either. I mean, was the plan that still hell bent on revenge? She was going to get the the alien dude to help him out to then get her revenge on the X Men through proxy. I guess is that the plan? I mean, but. But again, I mean, if you could resurrect giant sentinel monster robots from the bay and have them try and murder an island, like, I I, I don't know. Again, if, yeah. If she can talk to machines, why didn't she take over a sword? Sure. Yeah, that, that would be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It is, it is, it is a weird, it is definitely setting up for a plot twist. The thing I just, again, can't get over is like, th- there's no plot twist that matters there. Like it, it, I, th- I remember reading this whole reveal and it's like, okay, thanks. I guess I, I th- it didn't really change anything in the story or the trajectory or, or anything else. It does not matter at all. And as far as twists go, it's not a twist. It, it, it's irrelevant. But this whole series seems to rely on, and then there's the twist, because the first arc is Colossus is back, there's the twist, and then the second arc is, um, you know, I guess it's, you know, Professor X is a bad person, there's the twist. Yeah. And then the the third one is uh, Cassandra Nova's doing stuff, and then the fourth one is, uh, you know, Kitty getting, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's the danger thing, and Kitty. It's, there's a lot of stupid twists. There, there are. It's, um, it's like an M Night Shyamalan comic by Joss Whedon. Yeah, it's like if uh, this is the X X Men equivalent of like uh, Lady in the Water. <laughs> oh no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably our. It's it's a shame because like like we've talked about in the in the video, there there are a lot of kind of things that you know that we look forward to that are exciting. I know a handful of people are really excited about this whole retrospective uh, because they love this run and it's dear, near and dear to their hearts. And you don't want to just come in and, and crap all over that, but it, it's hard. Like you get these scenes like that, and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, I, I, I was buying the issues as this was coming out. I own the omnibus. I, I, I have given money to this. And, and I've read it multiple times. I, I get it. There's a nostalgia factor in it for me. Um, I think Perch and I agree that the next one we're going to do is going to be a more positive one. So, Definitely. Definitely yeah. positive next. Um, yeah. And then like a really awful one, like the worst one we've done. 
I think is I think that's what we're gonna do is we're yeah. gonna go positive, and then we're gonna be like, let's just pick the best thing and yeah. and ruin it for for everybody. I know, and we know what that is. We're gonna keep it a secret, but we know what that is, and it is going. It is it is truly awful, and it, it's it's I, I'm reading through it now, and uh, oof. So bad. Oh my god, what what a nightmare. And some people listening will will probably end up like once it's revealed, like we'll probably take it as like a, a personal slight. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that this thing that that we're because I do agree with you, it is terrible. Um it is uh I would say probably 95% of the people love it. Yeah. Like, our goal is like your child's been growing a lot. Um, so our goal is to get you back under 5k subs. Yes, that is my plan. It's always been my dream. <laughs> that is what we're going to do. It's definitely going to irritate people because I think there's a lot of very fond memories of this story that and and you you read it and it's like it is it is truly terrible. Yeah, but but the next one's going to be good. Don't don't, the next don't one's Positivity land in the next one. It is yeah. definitely going to be good, yeah. and uh, and all the rest. There are a lot of good things I think still to to love in this book. Um, there are I, there are some nice parts of Astonish X Men. We've talked about it. Yep. I would I would like this. Uh, I mean, it, compared to maybe some current X Men runs, I'd still take this one. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's it's better than anything X Men related I've read in months. Yeah, but um. You know, and, and obviously, you know, Laura Martin, colorist on Astonishing X Men, she's kind of like the MVP. And Definitely. she's one people talk about the least. Yep. I, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's not. Anyway, it's been a fun ride. Uh, thank you, Joe. And uh, we had to get that last little bit in there because it really makes no sense. Yeah. It, it's, uh, yeah. We were just so upset by everything else in this comic that uh, it, it passed us by, but it's such a big deal that we had to come back and talk about it. <laughs> perfect well thank you very much and next time positivity yes positive next time and then deep deep despair so total despair <laughs>